This is the Christian Heritage London podcast from London. Well, it's a real privilege for me to be sitting at St. James Clerkenwell with Mark Jackson and Pete Nicholas, where we are high up in the tower. (laughs) (laughs) Now, for how long have you been at St. James, guys? So we've been here since January. Um, Originally, Pete and I set up a Church of England church called Inspire in Old Street. That was back in September 2013. And then recently, Andrew Braun, the previous incumbent here, and wanted to move on and focus on his evangelism and his school of faith. And we got into conversations with the bishop and the archdeacon about us taking on the ministry here at St. James as well. Mm-hmm. So from January 2018, what's now Inspire St. James. That's superb. Yeah. And uh, how long had you been going before you, uh, you came here? We'd been up and running for um, about five years. Well, it would be coming up to five years in August, so we planted in um, September 2013. Mm. So took a group of 34 people, you know, kind of a mixture of family, fools and friends, and planting out from All Souls Langham Place that hadn't done a church plant before, and started a new wow. worshipping community in this area with the aim to be united and diverse, so not just reaching one kind of um, dominant homogenous group or not just reaching middle-class professionals, but connecting with the estates here. So there's a high number of estates around this area, mm-hmm. as well as the number of professionals who work in this area and live in London as well, mm-hmm. and trying to see a, a gospel community of bringing them together, united in Christ. Oh, fantastic. And are you, you living in the area? Yeah, I live on one of the local estates um, mm-hmm. and uh, just down the way, about 10 minutes away, just off the Old Street roundabout. Mm-hmm. Um, and you live Yeah, and I live by. in Central Street as well. I think mm-hmm. when we set up the church plant, we were wanting to have a very concrete sort of local presence and living in the area. We thought that was mm-hmm. important for mm-hmm. us. And, you know, praise the Lord, he was able to house us both because it's difficult trying to find housing in, yes. in central London. Yeah, yeah. Consistently, it has been the case in church history, that the local churches Mm. have been what God has used. Mm. There have been all kinds of attempts. People have made strategies for how they're going to bring Christianity back into the, and change the worldviews of our time. The irony is the Bible is very clear. There is a way that God does that. It's Mm. through local churches. And church history says that again and again. Mm. Fascinating that you've come from an enormous church, Mm. a big, prominent Mm. A church. Interestingly, on, on our podcast, we have I've noticed consistently, apart from maybe two episodes, someone has mentioned All Souls. Hmm. It has hmm. had an enormous effect on the expression of evangelical Christianity, not just in this nation, but internationally. Yeah. And you've come from there into a grassroots kind of uh, coalface setting. Has it been a meteoric rise? No, I don't think so. I mean, we've, we're both grateful to God that we, uh, well, when we first planted, we were aware that if we didn't grow, we were going to kind of wither on the vine pretty swiftly. So I remember our, you know, kind of first service after our launch service when we were looking around the room. And when you've got a kind of a planting group of 34 people, by the time a couple of people are involved in the band, a couple yeah. of people have gone out for the creche and the kids' work, mm. um, one person reading, one person in the service, you've got like 10 people left actually sitting in the seats. And yeah. you just look so small and so fragile. And um, by God's grace, we, we grew early on steadily, but not spectacularly. Um, and were kind of financially sustainable, which is always a helpful kind of marker within about three years. Oh, bless God. Um, So it's been good. And we did a bit of a survey a while back, and um, 62% of the kind of people that we'd grown with were people who had come from non-church backgrounds or de-church. So maybe they were going to church when they were youth or had been at, uh, to church as university and then had lapsed and stopped going. And then there's something often about a church planting situation that the kind of subculture within it is quite open 
you're, you're not very well formed and that gives people space to kind of come in. So basically two thirds of our growth has been amongst people who are unchurched or de-churched oh, as well. Oh, bless God. Hey, that's thrilling. Fantastic. Yeah, that's been exciting. Uh, yeah. Do you remember what you had expected compared with what's happened? Is there, is there a lesson that you said, I wish I'd known this? I think people always say that planting a church will stretch you spiritually in ways that you've never experienced before. And I think you hear that and you grasp it sort of intellectually. Mm. But until you're there in the moment thinking, wow, we are starting this church and we've got a planting group of 25 and we'd come up with this figure of 40 to start it and who's going to turn up on the first Sunday. Mm. And you're just on your knees in complete dependence on the Lord It's it's more than I had expected, Mm, that stretching. mm, mm. But through it, and to see the Lord answer prayer, Mm -hmm. to see him bring people, to Mm, see people mm. be brought to faith in Christ, as Pete mentioned, seeing so many people come back to faith in Jesus Christ has been Mm. an incredible Mm. thrill. Mm. And you really sense the Lord's presence with it, the Lord leading the way. It is the Lord building the church. And it is a very humbling experience. But... Yeah, I certainly feel very stretched through it and continue mm. even now, you know, five mm. years later. Mm. You're just as dependent mm. now on the Lord as when you first started. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Were, you, were you from a believing family yourself? How did you come to hear the gospel yourself, Mark? My mother sang in the choir in our local village church in Oxshot, Surrey, and so she brought me along to Sunday school every week. I did not enjoy it. I'm not saying that was <laughs> the church's fault. That might have just been my fault. Yeah. Um, as soon as I had the opportunity not to go to church I didn't I went to boarding school in the Midlands where I met Pete actually Uh and we had compulsory chapel and that just made it worse (laughs) and um, made me think that Christianity is completely irrelevant to my life what I had picked up about Christianity again this might not have been what was taught but it's what I picked up was that basically Jesus is a good guy you need to be a good guy I thought I'm a pretty good guy what do I need Christianity for? Mm, mm. And that was me. I mean, I went off to university and living the normal student life. And I was doing a course called Maths with Spanish at Durham University. It was quite a unique course. I think I was the first person in the history of Durham University to go to Spain for it. (laughs) And as it turned out, two years later, someone else wanted to do that that same course. And she called herself a Christian. And she was the co-leader of the Christian Union. And I think I sort of ribbed her mercilessly for being a Christian. I think if I thought it was all about being good, then you call yourself a Christian. You're making yourself out to be holier than now and better than others. But what particularly struck me about her was just an attractiveness of her life, the confidence that she had, and clearly not in herself, a Mm -hmm. sense of peace, that she could go out, have a good time without needing to get drunk and join in with with all the rest of it, and just how she responded very calmly to my take for being a Christian. Mm -hmm. And I think that um, took away a lot of my antagonism towards Christianity. Mm -hmm. She gave me a book called Turning Points by Vaughan Roberts, Mm -hmm. a book that explains a simple Christian message. And here I was learning about relationship with God. Here I was learning Mm -hmm. about Mm -hmm. sin and the need for forgiveness and being restored to God, his love. This was so different to what I'd understood it to be about being good enough uh, for God. So I realized, golly, all my antagonism, my all, this is completely misunderstanding what Christianity is about. It's not about being good enough. It's realizing you're not, that you need a savior. And that's why Jesus came. And that's mm, why he died mm, for mm, you. Mm, mm, so then I thought, well, I better look into this because this is a matter of you know life and death and heaven mm, and hell. Mm. And 
In my arrogance, doing maths at the time, I thought I could disprove it, but the more I looked into the claims of Jesus and his resurrection from the dead, the more convinced I came by it. And I think objectively speaking, I came pretty convinced that, you know, pro or thinking probabilistically as a mathematician, it was more probable that he did rise from the dead, that he's alive, than he wasn't. But I think subjectively, I still think, well, well, where is Jesus now and today? And where's this relationship? And Christians at the uh, Christian unit at the time, Christians I knew talked about God answering prayer. And I was thinking, well, he doesn't always answer prayer. And they go, well, try it out. So mm. I did. And, you know, I, I picked something which would... I don't know. It seems a very pagan prayer, like, if you're there, God, make yourself known, and you've got 24 hours, and of course he didn't have to answer that, but by his grace and mercy, he did. And for me personally, I knew that that was, you know, an answer to the prayer I'd asked, and that mm. he was there, this is his world, he'd made me, and even though I turned my back on him, you know, he loved me and was calling me back oh, to him wow. to seek forgiveness and to follow him, and that's what I did. And like, for me, it's very clear. I can remember it February the 10th, you know, 2000, 9.30 p.m., roughly. <sighs> you know, it's a very clear sort of wonderful. scales coming off the eyes. Wow, wonderful. When you speak, you speak to 10 different people about how they became a Christian, you realize there's one constant, the gospel. Mm, mm, mm. <laughs> yeah. But that's beautiful that you saw a regular believer yeah. who exuded a confidence that was given, yeah. a gracious, a stance which was characterized by what you're saying by grace mm. <laughs> and how about you Pete so obviously our stories are slightly intertwined and connected because we became best friends when we were at school I suppose my family had a bit more of a Christian background though not really modeled in the life of my mother and father my great-grandfather <coughs> had been a committed Christian um, so I subsequently found out that he'd been praying for subsequent generations I wonder oh. how many times that's actually part of a backdrop to a story but anyway, I was at school I think I would have said I would generally believe in a God some God the divine but very nondescript. And similar to Mark, I think all my experiences of Christianity had been those that I suppose had put me off it. Mm. And I don't think I had great paradigms through the chaplains at school. Mm. Um, they were liberal. They were generally, you know, kind of lauded and fated amongst the pupils at school. And I think they put me off in, in any sense. So I went up to university to study philosophy, politics and economics at Oxford. And I was very idealistic, but I was also a complete hypocrite. So on one level, I was really seeking answers to the big questions of life. And I thought, if I'm studying philosophy and politics and economics at Oxford, I will have a good chance of getting those. And so I was reading a lot of the major philosophers and also reading a lot of the major religious texts and genuinely seeking answers and doing things like, you know, I would write um, letters for Amnesty International protesting about prisoners of conscience, but I was a complete contradiction because I'd go out, get drunk and mm. get into fights as a rugby player type thing. So I was aware there was a contradiction in my life. Anyway, I got to the end of oh. studying at Oxford and I think I put my all and my everything into my sporting and academic performance identity. And I got to the end of three years at university and realized that just doesn't satisfy. Mm. And at the same time, I was very disillusioned because I'd read, you know, many of the world's philosophers and just saw that there were such inconsistencies, both in the things they were teaching and also particularly in their lives. You know, take Jean-Jacques Rousseau mm. preaching about liberté, fraternité, égalité. And then the way he treated his children was just absolutely outrageous. Basically put them into a, an orphanage down the road which was a, a kind of sweatshop where most of them died by the age 10. You kind of think there's no liberty for your children. Mm. How can a man be, you know, so idealistic and so hypocritical? And I kind of saw that in my own life. So I had some Christian friends who were witnessing to me steadily and um, taking me along to events, but I'd always kept them at arm's length. But I think by the end of my kind of time studying, as I was preparing for my finals, I was just bothered by this inconsistency in my life. And I thought there do need to be answers to big questions in life. And if they're not in the world philosophers, where are they? And my friend said, why don't you look into Christianity? And I gave some castaway comment like, well, there's nothing in that, is there? I mean, the Bible's made up. And 
you know, mm. and um, it lacks integrity and, you know, and uh, doesn't hold together as a truth system. And they said, well, you know, have you ever looked into it? Which I had to admit I hadn't done. Mm. And they said, well, why don't you look into it with the same degree of rigor that you'd look into any philosopher mm. or any kind of text? And I thought, fair challenge. So I actually stopped revising for my finals and treated it like an essay subject for and against reading the primary sources, reading the secondary sources, and be rigorous on it. And of course, you know, the more I pushed into it, the more it stood up to scrutiny with mm. a degree of solidity and compelling nature to it that I'd not seen anywhere else. Mm -hmm. So I quite quickly, probably within a few weeks, I was kind of persuaded intellectually that it was true. Wow. But I was left in this kind of, I knew what it would mean for my life and what do I do about that and where do I go with it? And then I got an email from Mark saying, I've become a born-again Christian. Extraordinary. <laughs> and I thought... He's become a nutter <laughs> because I thought I'm looking to Christianity, but born again Christianity, I knew nothing about it. I just thought that's really extreme. That's a kind of almost like a cult. Oh my word, you know, what's going on? But I, you know, I knew him well enough to, you know, kind of at least want to give him the time of day. So I said, can we meet up? And so I went down to see him at his home in Oxshott. And I remember it vividly. I remember walking through the front door and seeing him. And when you know someone so well, as we'd known each other for years, and I just instantly saw something different in his eyes, in his demeanor. Same mark, same personality, same banter, teasing, same high energy, but a peace and a sense of security and a sense of almost contentedness that I'd never seen in him before. And almost instantly I thought, that's what I'm lacking, that's what I want. So the kind of, if you like, the objective and the existential, the kind of personal suddenly came together. And I drove away from seeing him thinking to myself, I need to give my life to Christ. I already knew it's true, but that was, if you like, a kind of a final nudge that that's what it looks like in someone else's Absolutely. life. That's what I need to have in my life. So I did, and it was a bumpy road, but the Lord was very kind and gracious to me. So, Gosh, my words. Fascinating. Both of you have seen a sort of an incarnated example, which has been very strategic and very uh, substantive in your, in your root. And now here you are planting a church, right. the body <laughs> yeah, of Christ, in a, in, a, in a local place in London. Now, of course, Christian Heritage London, we, are, we have the extraordinary um, privilege of being in a city which people refer to internationally when they're talking about how the gospel can change the world. And we have great heroes of church history within walking distance of this spot. Is there anyone who's particularly someone who has been an inspiration or encouragement to you? I am, um, I mean, interesting, not someone from this area, but a person who's been hugely formative for me in my Christian walk um, is Jonathan Edwards, the American philosopher, theologian. I think, I mean, I particularly connect with him because he's, you know, he's got that. I mean, he was, you know, arguably America's preeminent philosopher as well as preeminent theologian. And um, he's got that kind of background. But also, I think particularly at a crucial point in my life when I had become a Christian, and I knew the wonderful truths of the gospel, that Jesus had died for me on the cross, had risen to new life, that it was objectively true, and that the Spirit was given as a personal experience of the life of God and the soul of man, as um, Henry Skugel, um, you know, calls it. But I wasn't experiencing the reality. There was a dissatisfaction of the reality of my walk in the Lord. So I intellectually knew things very quickly and kind of was, I suppose, almost um, maybe put on a pedestal amongst my peers for knowing lots of things and getting it. That's just being intellectually reasonably sharp. But the, the disjunct between the life and experience, the sense I didn't feel the kind of um, the sense of the joy and peace and the forgiveness of Christ was objectively true. But how much was it working out? There was a defensiveness to criticism and things like that. And that came to a head when a really good friend actually of ours um, died in a car crash. And I just didn't know how to process it. Um, she was married to a, a good friend of mine who I played rugby with and mm. he was going through grief and I just didn't know how to help him. And I just thought, 
the gospel is about deliverance from sin and life everlasting. And here's my friend who's a Christian believer who's just lost his wife, who's a Christian believer very early on. And of course, it's very hard, but I just don't know how to cope with this. And this is what the gospel is for. And I was just so profoundly sad and impacted by that. I thought, I need to rethink my Christian walk. And at that time, someone directed me to read Jonathan Edwards' The Religious Affections. And it, w- it felt almost like a kind of second conversion as I mm. suddenly realized mm. it's not just about what you know, it's about how the gospel impacts your heart, that is your desires, your deep longings, mm. how it transforms that. And also seeing in Jonathan Edwards' diaries, his own personal experience of the love of God as he saw it in scripture and then it impacted him. So it wasn't just truth nor just experience, but it was an experience of the truth. And I didn't have mm. that. Mm. And, I, and mm-hmm. I kind of learned it from Jonathan Edwards and reading his writings and reading his diaries therefore was a hugely formative thing for me Mm -hmm. and I suppose reshaped my faith around a particular understanding of um, the way the gospel impacts our desires and the way that outflows into your life and um, yeah I think it was just so formative that I've regularly come back to him as being not Mm. a not a perfect person of course um, making his own errors but a wonderful theologian and with a deep love for God um, yes, that yes. really transformed both many people around him and also his own life as well. Yes, yes. And someone who finds, he seems to illustrate the beauty of a gospel with purpose. Right. So one could almost get an impression, especially when you first start out as a believer, that well, the gospel is how you get saved from hell, right. which is true. But the implications of the alternative to hell are not just you have to wait here in the waiting room of earth. Right. But instead, you're being invited into the relationship of the Father and the Son in the, in the glory and the, the filling of the Holy Spirit who glorifies the other. <laughs> yes. and, and Edwards seems to help you to see some of the glory of that. I think especially in the, the religious affections where he had seen revival twice. Yeah. And at the end he says, what actually stayed? Yeah. And what were the ones who really were converted? What was consistently and conspicuously the case in their lives? I find it, I found it to be my favorite book. And what a blessing to the church. And I love the fact as well that the Lord and his providence that uh, Jonathan Edwards' wife was was starting to really get a the, the outwork of the the outworking of the theology she was having these experiences of intimacy with God as she meditated on scripture before he was okay. so he started wow. to see it in her life and started oh, wow. and he'd been wanting that and had been praying for it but <laughs> the Lord in his providence kind of gave it first to Sarah Edwards and then John Edwards had it later mm-hmm. um, and even almost and in that sense he would often talk about the way he'd learned from his wife and that as well so here's this phenomenal oh. theologian mm-hmm. you know one of these hugely great minds with a real love for God and a real sense that he was understanding of the beauty of the infinite the beauty of god and the beauty of christ and you read his sermons for example heaven is a world of love um it's just stunning and yes. it's in its images that it paints of what the new creation will be like and what yeah. it'll be like to be with christ and yet his wife you know kind of grasped that almost slightly before he did and yeah. he arrived a little bit later and you know, the lord often works in those ways yeah well in your both your cases you both saw someone who saw it and though they might not articulate it in a way which you would, of course, but then personally, that's how faith works, isn't it? Person, very personally, it's between you and God. Mm. And if anyone hasn't heard it, John Piper's biography of Jonathan Edwards is now free on the internet. And you just, just write John Piper's biography of uh, Edwards, which he, in which he tells the story, and it'll change your life. It'll get you in all kinds of trouble. <laughs> so um, how about you, Mark? Yeah, I, th- I think different people have influenced me at different times um i could talk i won't now just augustine and just his writings on the heart and the desires mm-hmm. and not just loving the wrong things but loving the right things Amen. the wrong amount uh-huh. um and just seeing myself fundamentally as a wanting loving desiring 
person and how your heart affects the way you think and do. I think Luther as well has mm. been helpful. Just, just his simplicity of writing, his simplicity of preaching, and his clarity on justification mm. by faith alone. I found that very helpful. Reading a lot of his uh, books at Theological College. But the thing I want to, to mm. mention, actually, it's been probably it's quite recent, last summer, um, but been incredibly influential. Was reading Hudson Taylor's mm. Mm. Um, biography, A Man in Christ, mm. and. What struck me was his constant dependence on the Lord in prayer and the specificity of his prayers. Mm. I literally have no money left. I need X amount of money by this date. Lord, please, will you give that to me? Mm. And even when his boss accidentally forgets to pay him, he chooses not to point it out to the boss, and maybe that would be a good thing to do, but just prays, Lord, would you make the boss uh, realize this. Uh-huh. You know, I want this many missionaries by this year mm-hmm. to reach China. He does. Mm. Next year, mm. okay, an extra hundred. The next year, just very specific prayers. And mm. here was a man who truly believed, not not just intellectually, but practically, that Jesus Christ is alive, that this is his world, that he's in control, that he is very powerful, that he loves to hear our prayers and can answer our prayers way more than we can possibly imagine. Mm. And I find that a very humbling thing to read because I think I'm tempted to self-reliance and when things are busy, sort Mm. of just to crack on in my own strength. And really, am I having that moment by moment dependence on the Lord, talking all things through him Mm. and asking him to answer in what may seem to be in quite miraculous ways. Mm, mm, that's extraordinary. Fantastic. One is, the, the great sadness I've tended to find is there is a, a tendency among people who, who know good Reformation doctrine, which gets you the access to the Father that the Son has, mm, mm. don't always take it up. They don't <laughs> always use it. They don't always, they're not known for prayer. Yes, so yeah. it's encouraging to hear someone who not only knew that theoretically, but, well, when you speak to Chinese believers now, they say, oh, yeah, 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 he changed the world. Yeah, yes, the world. exactly. Yes. Yeah. Interestingly, I, spoke, I took a group of about seven or eight Chinese pastors on a walk last year. I'm told that between them, they have oversight of hundreds of thousands of Christians. And some, mm. someone told me a million between them. <laughs> but they said, you're impressed with our numbers. We are impressed with your history. Mm-hmm. And here we are in this city thinking, we have nothing no. to teach you. But they're yeah. saying, oh, no, no, we're looking over here at what happened here. Yes. If you go on the road to Stone Newington and see the building where CIM was built, that's just, you're looking mm. at, it's like every, every brick was prayed for. Mm. It's awesome. Mm. <laughs> so you guys, um, the church is Inspire St. James, and you are uh, affiliated, pre- presumably you still keep a relationship up with all souls? Very much so, yeah. Oh, we're right. hugely grateful to them and to our gospel partnership you know with them and still in good relationship so and and also though you are um, connected interestingly i find fascinating because the 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 the, uh, the parallels in your priorities are they speak of your other partnership you're in with uh, tim keller's city to city movement yes uh, which where he started a local church very much motivated by these same individuals with the view of reaching the city, which is very much what you're doing. And Tim Keller himself was here recently. Yeah, we did a, we did a conference um, just uh, a week ago also um, looking at the gospel um, in the city and looking at the gospel, <coughs> we particularly looking at the gospel for the nations in the city and dealing with some of the um, tensions that there have been both sides of the Atlantic, really. And I think we need to realise it's more in the UK than we would want to admit, and particularly more in the evangelical church. 
of the lack of ethnic diversity, um, the lack of unity with people who are theologically right like that, but the only difference is practically this color of their skin. And obviously there have been, that's been well noted in the US and has been you know, publicly being talked about. Um, but uh, even it saddened me recently to read an article um, that someone had written up about a talk that had been given at Together for the Gospel about this issue. And they were saying in the UK context, said, I don't really think this is an issue for us in the UK context. We should probably apply some of these truths to our issue of lack of sociodemographic diversity. Now, I wholeheartedly agree we've got problems about our lack of sociodemographic diversity within the evangelical church as well. And the way we have and have homogenous churches, one for a council estate, one for middle class, and we keep them separate. But I wholeheartedly disagree that we ha- we don't need to face up to issues in terms of our lack of ethnic diversity. So it's a good conference, yeah. It's very striking. Interesting how uh, Tim Keller, he could pretty much go anywhere and speak. People say, yes, we'd have you speak. But the, the things he chooses to speak at, they speak volumes, just the fact that he goes to that particular event. I know he was at the Living Out conference yes, yes. where you think that's, uh, he didn't have to go there, but he said, no, that's strategic, that's important, that's a, that's a big issue for now. And he comes in and speaks his glorious gospel clarity in the grey uh, the, the muddy mess of our culture in our time. Yes. So that's great that you're, you're a, a, as it were, a Tim Keller church in London doing what Tim Keller is doing uh, and has done, provoked and inspired by the things that have provoked and inspired him. I asked him a question once. He an- the answer changed my life. I said, how did you do it? How did you do that? He said, he said it's the importance, I said, because he started with personal evangelism. He said, it's the importance of listening, mm-hmm. the importance of listening. He says, when you can articulate your friend's problem with the gospel better than they can, that's a key moment. Mm-hmm. So is this your problem? Is this your problem with it? And then let's work rather than just sort of standing far away and saying, oh, it's true, it's true. But actually actually inter- interact with them. I thought oh, it was very helpful. Mm-hmm. So um, uh, what's new? Anything new for you guys particularly? I'll tell you something that's new for us, which I think is getting us buzzing, is we've been doing the Real Change course from Biblical Counseling UK mm-hmm. recently. And just in terms of engaging our hearts, Pete was mentioning it before in terms of Jonathan Edwards, I mentioned Augustine, how, how do you actually do that? And they've come up with this course with some practical tips of thinking in terms of the heat in your life. So what are the circumstances coming in your life where God wants to bring change? And we tend to sort of pray away the circumstances instead of thinking, actually, what is the Lord revealing about our hearts and our desires in that moment? Oh, wow. And often out of these circumstances come what they call thorns, which would be ungodly patterns of thought um, or behavior. And often there's a root to that, an idol, something you're loving mm-hmm. uh, too much and not putting God first into it. And then how do you bring the, the correct aspect of the gospel to defeat that idol to actually, instead of bringing thorns, bring gospel fruit mm-hmm. and the fruit of the spirit. Wow. And it's in the context of being open and vulnerable with one another and sharing our lives in our uh, small groups. And mm. that's actually been quite revolutionary. People mm-hmm. have uh, really enjoyed it. We've run that uh, twice, uh, first with the 4 p.m. Inspire Congregation and now both together as Inspire St. James two congregations and using this sort of methodology as we're meeting regularly. Hey, what's the heat in your life right now? And you know, can I pray about you know, certain thorns? You know, What's the the gospel that I could help you with and speak the truth to you in love with to bring out fruit there? Yeah, yeah. And actually that's really um, What's the course on. called again? Real Change. Real change. Um, it's a six-week course and we... Did it in three weeks, just because mm. at the start of the year we've only got three weeks to do it. But mm. um, people have then been doing it separately, one on one, the full six weeks. But we do recommend it. Yeah, it's a great course, really helpful. And Mark's wife, um, Joe, is involved with Biblical Counselling UK, so she gave us the heads up about the course, and it's been great. I think the interesting one thing to mention on the back of that is that 
there can be a tendency to think, well, if we're investing in that kind of pastoral resources, pastoral care, then that might be a bit, um, you know, internally focused. And that's a good thing to do because, of course, we want to help people grow in godliness. But I think what's been really helpful for us is to see how it also links to growing in number in evangelism. Because one of the challenges is when people who aren't believers come into the church, they hear the gospel up front. But the question is, do they see the gospel modeled in the gospel community, yeah. mm-hmm. which is an intangible thing that will probably hit them before the gospel really starts to impact them. They'll feel it. And you heard that both in our testimonies Mm -hmm. of people who impacted us with their grace and the way they responded to it. So Mm. if the gospel really starts to transform hearts and the community in the church, then when people come in who aren't Christians, they should find a radical acceptance and a radical openness and authenticity and vulnerability, which you don't see anywhere else, where people aren't um, trying to explain away their faults. They're saying, yeah, no, I'm battling with this particular issue, but here's the thing. Jesus forgives me and he's the one who's able to change me and my community around here is helping me with that that is very 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 compelling mm, and um and very powerful as a way to i suppose draw people in mm, um so we're hoping that it will have both that effect of growing us in maturity but also will be a compelling witness as it were yeah um, that beautifies yeah. the gospel in a tighter sense yeah well this is it the church is a demonstration of the wisdom of god Amen. it's yeah. not just uh, it's not just a grab people and chuck them in. <laughs> no, this is a demonstration. Download truth on them. Anyway, this is it. Yeah, well, that's glorious. Well, thank you so much for your time, Mark and Pete. It's well, been fantastic. Thank you. And we're excited to see what you're doing in London and believing and hoping great things for it. Thank as you. A significant you. church plant for London. For more episodes of the Christian Heritage London podcast and for information on Christian Heritage London events, tours and walks, please go to christianheritagelondon.org. 